everybody. It's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, November 4th, 2018. Nikki and Victoria and Phyllis show up at Chancellor Park in the middle of the night on Halloween night with their shovels and their matching black bandit eye masks to dig up the body of J.T. Hellstrom to move the body because there is a broken water pipe underneath the spot where they buried him. You have got to be kidding me. This is a joke. This is a Halloween prank, is it not? This is so freaking ridiculous. Okay, first of all, who bought the matching black bandit eye masks? <laughs> you can't just get those at Macy's. Nikki must have had to order those suckers from a costume store. That's a specialty costume item right there. <laughs> or I don't know, maybe she got them from the Genoa City Spirit Halloween pop-up shop. Oh, well, that, well, then why the hell not just get three matching capes to complete the look? It's, it's, like, I am appalled <laughs> and embarrassed by what they were wearing. <laughs> I, look, I realize that I am taking this way, way, way too seriously. I am sure that YNR was just trying to give us some Halloween story and probably also to lighten the mood a little bit given what these women were doing maybe just to kind of counterbalance the gravity of the fact that these three women are digging up rotten slimy flesh and bones hey give them a costume it'll be funny I honestly I would be all for it if it was under a different circumstance with a different story. Like, if it didn't really uh, cheapen the abuse storyline that came before it. I just can't get over the fact that the storyline between Victoria and JC, JT and the domestic abuse was probably one of the most powerful storylines that I can remember from the history of the show. And Everything since the moment that Nikki whacked JT over the head with the fireplace poker has been a farce. It has been a farce from the moment that they decided to cover up what was clearly, clearly, clearly a homicide that was committed in self-defense. And now this week, they took that farce and they dressed it up in a Halloween costume and they made it do a little skeleton dance. Early in the week, I was relieved, relieved that YNR took the time to bring this story back to its root 
to check in with Victoria about how she's feeling about the whole uh, moving JT's body situation. And Victoria talked to Nikki about her very complex feelings about JT. She said, I don't just think of him as my abuser. I think of him as a man that I once loved. I think of him as the father of my child. And so I thought, oh, good. Oh, good. Weiner's like getting back to the story that is based in reality, maybe Victoria will finally break down and say, enough is enough of all of this. What's done is done. Leave JT where he is so that I can rest in peace. No, but no. No, Victoria actually decides to go along with this gruesome plan, which was barely a plan. What was the plan? The only thing I heard was that the women got as far as, well, well, just dig him up in the middle of the night and maybe throw him in the lake. How were they even planning to transport a rotting corpse that's been just laying in the dirt for the past six months? What were they going to do? Pick up all of the wormy pieces and chuck them into the backseat of Nikki's Mercedes? <sighs> oh, my gosh. Jill shows up and she puts a temporary stop to this best laid plan. And as, as soon as she catches a whiff that anything is going on around her beloved Chancellor Park statue, she like huffs right back into town and she tells Nikki that she's going to stand right there at that sculpture at the park all day and night if she has to, to make sure that nothing happens to it. And I thought, oh, good, good, good. Okay, maybe Jill's presence will put an end to this foolishness. But Nikki is able to fairly easily assuage her and they get on with the plan. Oh, yes, this is happening. <laughs> Did Sharon not get the memo that explicitly stated that our grave digging party has a dress code like it's supposed to be black outfit black boots <laughs> black bl black bandit eye mask which has been provided by Nikki I am assuming <laughs> she's kind of the leader of this so I'm assuming she organized the dress code she is using like all of her years of experience in putting events together to also plan the dress code and Sharon didn't get it instead Sharon showed up to the grave digging party Wearing a ski mask. <laughs> I wish I could laugh, but I want to cry. I wish I could laugh like her, 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 digging up a body. Halloween is one of the busiest <laughs> nights of the year to be outside. And these women are out. Look at 
cartoon bank robbers digging a hole in the ground in an area of the park which isn't even remote. It looked like the only thing that was separating them from the street was a trellis <laughs> that was just covered lightly in vines. <sighs> I'm taking it too seriously. <laughs> I can't be too mad at it because at least it's giving me all of this, like, it's giving me something to give you some comedy out of, right? Um, and you know what, Sharon, it was funny that Sharon apologized for being late to the grave digging because she was busy breaking up with Nick, which she wouldn't even have had to do if Phyllis wasn't such a slut. <laughs> Okay, fine. It's like that moment was a little bit funny. But it's hard to take this storyline anything like seriously when these women don't seem to be taking it seriously. They were taking their sweet time with the digging. Sharon and Phyllis were taking breaks in between grave digging to bicker with one another and Victoria was taking a break from grave digging to like multitask and field a phone call from Billy. Great idea. Definitely a good idea to use your cell phone at the crime scene. Well, when the women are finally getting down to the business of actually digging, 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 they're realizing that they've digged far enough to where JT was be, be where he was buried, and they still haven't hit the body. So, no surprises here, honestly. Just as we speculated last week, they get down into the dirt, and and nobody is there. Boo! <laughs> Are you scared? Maybe, I don't know, the broken water pipe, the force from the water of the broken pipe just washed JT's bodies away. <laughs> or maybe... A gang of gophers just carried him off. Or maybe JT is still alive. Ooh. That's our poll question for the week, chatters. Is JT Hellstrom still alive? <laughs> YRChat.com, I would love to get your votes and to let you sound off on this topic. Is JT still alive? Dot, dot, dot. And do we care at this point? Oh, ah, that's perhaps even more scary. I don't know. I don't know anymore. I really thought that this week we were going to get some actual movement, some actual action. And even though things happened, like the plot is not being furthered. The only thing that we know for sure is that JT was there. In fact, next week in the previews, Arturo will find JT's watch right at the spot and he flips it over and can see that there is a message on the back of it where it's been engraved, Love Mac. 
So since Kelly Krueger is going to be returning to the show, I'm assuming that she's going to be called by the police for questioning about the watch because we also saw in the previews that Ray is going to be showing up with a roll of caution tape and declaring Chancellor Park a crime scene. So look, if JT is not in the hole then that means either someone else moved him already. I've been hearing a few theories that maybe Victor had something to do with moving the body. <laughs> like Victor decided on his own that that's not how you move a body. <laughs> this is not how you bury a body. This is how you bury a body. <laughs> I'll show them how it's done. Maybe. I mean, maybe anything's possible in this universe now. Or maybe, just maybe, JT is still alive. And if JT is still alive, then does that automatically mean that he is the mystery blackmailer? And I don't know, if JT is still alive, do you think we would ever even see him again? If he does end up showing his face in Genoa City, he would be arrested on the spot. I'm sure that Ray would jump out of a bush somewhere and arrest JT. And if JT's not dead, then the four women certainly can't be charged with a homicide. Uh, if there was no crime, I don't know. And, pl and plus, like, even if JT comes back and accuses the women of having, he's alive and he comes back and accuses them of having whacked him over the head and burying him, who's going to take the word of a wanted criminal in JT over the four upstanding charity working women of Genoa City anyway? I swear, <laughs> if, if one more person bumbles into one more of these so-called charity meetings, I'm going to scream. <laughs> it will be a blood-curdling Halloween scream. Ugh. Poor lonely Ray. He just wanted to be included on these women's charity project. Can you believe that they excluded him just because he's a man and it's a women's uh, charity that they're contributing to? Uh, uh. <clears throat> Maybe the, the more interesting topic of conversation is the fact that it seems the lines between <clears throat> Sharon and Ray's relationship have really become so blurry. Um, at this point, I don't honestly know what's strategy from either Sharon or Ray and what's real feelings that are developing because Ray is still very obviously investigating JT's disappearance and he clearly knows that Sharon knows something more about it that there's something suspicious going on around her and he is trying to develop a relationship with her get closer to her to learn more information information about it, but it's those attempts to get closer to her and uh, the fact that she has a newly single status 
that's causing Sharon to pull away from Ray a little bit. At the beginning of the week, Ray is trying to figure out why Sharon is being so skittish. Why is she not letting him anywhere near her box? <laughs> why are they doing this to me? <laughs> First, the mattress, then the box, and then on Friday, Ray's like sitting at his desk playing with his Benoit balls. Is why trying to bait me into these easy sexual innuendo jokes? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. But I do know Sharon is really clearly trying to politely distance herself from Ray's balls. <laughs> she tells him that they need to be a little more aware of how their relationship is looking to the outside world. They don't want to give anyone the impression that there's anything more going on there. Yet in Nick's mind, rightly, there is very much more going on there. Nick wants to stop Sharon from doing to him what he just did to her. I am so mixed on Nick right now, knowing what's coming. I think with his heart in the right place, Nick decides to start trying to force Sharon into some happy family memory-making moments. And early in the week, he asks Sharon to join him and Faith and Christian at the Genoa City Pumpkin Festival. I loved this. <laughs> Can I just take a moment to tell you how much I loved seeing the Pumpkin Festival? I mean, if you guys don't live in the Midwest, I have to tell you, pumpkin festivals are huge around here. And specifically where I live in Illinois, um, it's the number one pumpkin producing state in the nation. We produce 95% of the nation's pumpkins and specifically the number one pumpkin producing city in the country is like a hop, skip, and a jump over here, like maybe 10 miles from where I am. So we love our freaking pumpkins around here. And I know that Genoa City's in Wisconsin and I'm in Illinois, but I like to see Genoa City representing <laughs> the Midwest. It was fun and I liked it. I would have loved to have seen more of an expansion on that than any of the other like spooky Halloween elements. I loved the pumpkin. I love those candy apples. I had like three candy apples this year. In fact, on Halloween night, I bit into a caramel apple and chipped my tooth. Yay! I'll be looking forward to that dentistry visit soon. I mean, they're big here though. It's like you can't you can't turn around without it getting hit in the head and chipping a tooth on a candy apple. But I loved I loved it. I loved that like the hay in the background. I love the the idea of a hayride. I love the idea of the corn maze. I love corn mazes. They're really fun and I can't even tell you the sweet spot in my soul that it hit to think about the story Nick was telling about he and Sharon getting lost in the corn maze. 
I'm sure that must have seemed like another lifetime ago to both of them because so much can happen. And yet it's the little like moments of memories like that that can make you remember the good times and long for those. And of course, that's what Nick is counting on. He's hoping he can draw Sharon back to the time when they first fell in love. That's sort of the power that he has over her and vice versa, of course, that rich history that they both share. Um, <clears throat> but... I mean, we all also know that memories of the happier time don't erase what's happened. They don't erase the bad times. And I do feel a little proud for, uh, of Sharon for staying true to herself throughout all of this because I think it would probably be easy for her to jump right into Ray's arms, married or not, and like let him pull her out of the troubles that she's having. I mean, Ray is a virtual blank slate nice guy. It would be easy to just want to go be with him real quick and she could probably have him if she wanted him. And at the same time, I think it would probably also be a little bit easier for her to just go back to Nick and forget about everything that he did and just slip right back into their comfortable life. But Sharon is trying to continue on the path of focusing on her needs and the fabulous life that she can have with or without her man. On Halloween night, Sharon tells Nick that it is over. It's done. We are done. Stop trying to pressure her and guilt trip her into being a family again when he was the one that stepped out on the family without checking with her about the facts. He took her taking off her ring as a sign that she was done with him and then he just went off and had sex with Phyllis and expects her to forgive him and forget about it. <sighs> he created this whole Peter Pan family Halloween costume and he got the kids all pumped up that Sharon was going to participate in this fantasy as a family. He never should have put Sharon in that position. She, she kind of had to let the kids down when she refused to be his Wendy. And I think that was really unfair of him. She didn't want to send the wrong message to the kids or to Nick that they were going to be a family again because she's not planning on letting that happen and he's not hearing it. Why doesn't Nick get that Sharon at least has a sliver of a argument here? That Sharon has a right to never forgive him if that's what she chooses. He was talking to Abby on Friday saying over and over, it was just one night, it was one night. Well, no, it's not just about one night. It's about like 20 years of relationship and history. It's about the fact that your daughter died and you had an affair. The fact that there have been multiple affairs, multiple you know, remarriages, relationships. All of that is being considered here. 
And look, I do feel I do feel bad for Nick. I mean, he is wearing his slick suits. He's standing in his expensive new office. He's running his high-powered business. But inside, he's still such a big, dumb teenage boy sometimes. Sharon has talked more than once over the past week about how she doesn't think that Nick is the same man that he used to be. She doesn't think that, you know, he's the same man she thought he was, but he is. He kind of is the same man that he used to be. He is a cheater. He's always been a cheater. They were barely together for the very first time before he was screwing around on Sharon with Grace Turner. Of course, there are always some kind of extenuating circumstances where he thought they were broke up or he thought X, Y, Z, but he still always goes back to another woman. Like all Nick's, all Nick's life, he just blows with the wind from woman to woman. <sighs> The wind is blowing and Nick just whoo, travels on over there to somebody else. And now at this point in his life, he doesn't have Sharon to pin him down. She has turned him down. So less than 24 hours after he's begging Sharon for her forgiveness, vowing to have commitment to their little family, those winds, they're blowing again. And this time they're blowing him right back over to Phyllis. Weird. Jabot doesn't really feel like Jabot all of a sudden. I think it's because Jack and or Ashley have been the two driving forces of that company for at least the past decade. And now Ashley has left the company as a shell of its former self. And Jack's not really even fighting for it. Well, Ashley decides to take her patents to Paris. She is going to be starting a new company with those same products. She's, in effect, taking Jabot's products and she's going to relabel them as her products. She knows in doing this that she is crippling Jabot and... For a final twist of the knife, she is planning on naming her new company My Beauty. Oh, that's good, but bad, but good, but bad. <laughs> Abby really did fight hard to prevent this from happening in some ways. Abby has been fighting harder than anyone else, maybe besides Tracy. But Abby asks the family to just reconsider Ashley's request to be reinstated as CEO and then everybody can get what they want. Jabot keeps the products and Ashley becomes the CEO of Jabot. But Ashley's already made up her mind. This is what she's doing. She's leaving. She actually asks Abby to come with her to Paris, but 
I mean, Abby already has her entire life and career here. She's apparently very happy at Dark Horse, and she's very happy being there with Arturo. So Ashley has to say goodbye, and she does a little bit of an, a, a goodbye tour. She talks to Billy, apologizes to him for what came between them, and I didn't even really get a chance to spend that much time talking about Billy last week, but I'm sure that Billy knows exactly what it feels like to be considered one of the lesser Abbots, one of the lesser of John's children. And also Billy probably has always had to feel like the lesser version of Jack somehow. He's the only other son of John Abbott. By the way, Kyle and Billy had a really interesting conversation on Monday and it was it was Kyle of all people someone who didn't know John who really helped me place some of my feelings about John that I was struggling with last week Kyle reminded us reminded me anyway that John Abbott was no doubt a great man but he was also a man of his time, and he was also a human. I mean, I don't think that John intended to make any of his children feel more or less loved. I'm sure that John was just doing the best that he could and failing sometimes in the way that we all do. I specifically don't think that John ever wanted or meant to make Tracy feel less special by trying to make Ashley feel special, but that was the effect nonetheless. And um, yeah, I think that everything that's happened this past couple of weeks probably didn't help with Tracy's insecurity issues. I'm sure that a lot of dust got kicked up for her. Um, Tracy, not only does she not feel like the beautiful one, but I'm sure at times she has also felt like the not smart one or the naive one. And she even said it herself to Abby this week after everything blew up with the family. Tracy's talking to Abby saying, great, best laid plans. And now everybody's looking at me saying, oh, well, little Tracy, her heart was in the right place, which is code for Tracy messed this all up. You can almost kind of understand exactly why Tracy decided to move to New York to be away from all of this and to avoid the inevitable Abbott family blow up that she probably always knew was coming. My favorite moment of the Ashley goodbye was when the family pulled Dina in for a goodbye in front of everyone that neither Dina or Ashley really seemed to want. <laughs> Ashley already said her goodbye. <laughs> and when Dina was pressured a little bit to sit down and say goodbye to Ashley, Dina says, must I? <laughs> 
Oh, that was funny. And you know what, though? I was glad to see that the, because it did end up producing this really wonderful and unexpected full circle moment that I never would have thought of if Ashley didn't say it. But Ashley sits down with Dina and she says, I have a feeling that my family is going to now look on me the way that we looked on you for all of those years. And it's true. Abby specifically and the rest of the family, they feel abandoned by Ashley the way that they felt, the way that the family felt abandoned by Dina and also feeling that Ashley was choosing herself over her family responsibilities which is how they felt about Dina. How interesting that YNR brought that all around full circle. I loved that. Um, but when Ashley went to leave the Abbott house, the one person she didn't have a goodbye for was Jack. She said, I got nothing to say to you. And she just walks out the front door. Jack actually had to track Ashley down at the athletic club just after she had broken up with Neil over the phone. See, <laughs> this is one of the drawbacks of the modern soap filming structure. Like they're filming so far in advance and in pieces based on all of the actor's availability. That's why you get little holes like this. It's pretty clear that a lot of Christoph St. John's scenes, even after he came back, were not were filmed at a completely different time than Eileen Davidson's. And so you get little holes like this that are unsatisfying to the fans. But I was glad that at least Jack had his moment to say goodbye to Ashley, to say his piece, even if it didn't end up changing anything. He did try to convince Ashley to stay, to not take those patents to Paris, to think about all of the people who would be affected by this, but Ashley is resolute. She vows to Jack that she is going to be putting herself first from now on. Which, as far as I'm concerned, Ashley was never not putting herself first. <laughs> but, okay, it's her right to take her patents, all right, um, and to leave. And, and we really have no choice about this. We had a nice series of flashbacks showing Jack and Ashley having an argument as children and Jack trying to do what he had to do while Ashley trying to be who she wanted to be. Jack was reinforcing um, that he's always going to be Ashley's older brother and Ashley didn't like being bossed around by him. Not then, not now, not ever. And um, they did end up, though, coming together in the flashback scene, acknowledging each other's positions, and they did end up coming together before she left town. Jack just pulls her in and says, 
I have to admit to you that I put that blood abbot clause into place knowing that it would preclude you from being the CEO, knowing that I really can't compete with you. It was almost as if Jack was saying, I know you would have been the better person for the job. Um, or at least he feared that she would have been the better person for the job. And I think that in a way, Ashley was waiting, had been waiting maybe for years for him to admit that. It rang true to her. It meant something to her that he said that. But again, it did not change her plans. She just tells him, I am sorry, Jackie. I am leaving town and I am taking those patents with me. They're mine. So she leaves Jack in shambles. He's just standing there in the empty Abbott house, looking at the empty Abbott dining room table that he wanted so much to fill with love and family and to fulfill his promise to his father. But he he failed. It's a failure all around. Ugh. And Ashley leaves. She just gets on a plane. We see this beautiful shot of Genoa City from the wing. From her perspective, it was lovely. And, and Ashley just picks up a glass of champagne and she raises it to herself as if to say goodbye to the past, hello to the future. And she just takes a sip and flies off into the night sky. The next morning, Jack pulls together another Abbott family breakfast, this time sans Ashley. And again, Jack is acting like he is the head coach on Team Abbott. While just yesterday, by the way, he was shredding his sister's inheritance documents. Mm. Well, it didn't matter. It didn't last anyway. Team Abbott togetherness lasted for maybe a couple of hours or so until the next family and executive Jabot team meeting. Um, it's time to crown a new CEO of Jabot. It's a major space that needs to be filled. And Phyllis decides to make her pitch to the board to have that position for herself. She was competing against Jack and Billy, but Jack and Billy's pitches were both pretty tame. Phyllis was the only one who actually made a passionate and convincing argument for the job. One thing I really, really liked, though, was how before the vote, Phyllis is having a drinks or dinner with Lauren. And she is able to secure Lauren's vote. And it was it was a nice moment, I think, because Lauren was saying to Phyllis, yeah, you have my vote. Of course you have my vote. Lauren was reassuring Phyllis like by saying, you're smart and you're driven and you deserve this. You're one of us. As in, you're one of the powerful powerhouse women of this town. You're one of us. And I think that gave Phyllis 
the confidence to persevere because she didn't start out as one of us. Lauren inherited her company. Jack inherited his company. Phyllis didn't. Phyllis is sort of a from the ground up type of character or person. So I think she needed a little bit of a confidence boost and she got it from Lauren. And I think that that was what propelled her to give a convincing argument to convince everyone else that she would be good for the job. She stood right there in front of the board of directors and spoke with them in very plain language saying, hey, Jabot's screwed right now. No, seriously, we are screwed right now. Ashley took our patents. We have no products. We need the kind of innovative leadership right now that Jack and Billy, frankly, were never able to provide. So why not try something new? Why not try something different? Why not let Jabot become a woman-led company? It's a cosmetics company, she says. And we all know that men really have no idea what women want says that as she looks directly at Billy. You know what? You go, Phyllis. You just go. <laughs> I was proud of her, or I was impressed with her, I guess I should say. She was also able to prove her stripes by hiring a very sought-after new chemist to replace Ashley, Carrie Johnson is her name. She makes her debut, Jabot's new chemist, kind of giving me a cold vibe. A little bit. Anybody else? She's not seeming real warm and friendly. <laughs> but she is apparently the best. And Jack wasn't able to hire her despite his best pitch. Billy wasn't able to hire her despite his best pitch. But Phyllis was able to hire her on the condition that the board hired her as the CEO. Kind of a great move. The one thing I don't really get about Carrie, though, is why she would want to start out on a hostile note with Jack and Billy. Because she mm, walked out rudely on Jack when he was trying to hire her. And she pretty much told Billy that she didn't like his stank. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why she would do that. I think we're going to need to know more about her, but I also think we're going to end up getting it. I think she's going to be a front burner character because Phyllis's whole tactic worked. She won. <laughs> Phyllis is now the elected CEO of Jabot Cosmetics. I think she was maybe even a little bit surprised that she won, maybe even more surprised or as surprised as Jack and Billy. How did those votes go down? Can anybody really confirm those votes for me? It was four for Phyllis, three for Jack, three for Billy. We know that Jack, Billy, and Phyllis all voted for themselves. Lauren voted for Phyllis, Kyle voted for Jack, and Abby said she voted for Billy. So where did Tracy's vote go? 
And didn't, didn't Ashley have a vote? She's still a board member. I don't know, maybe I missed something or maybe the vote came down to those two other nameless heads that were in the room. I don't know. Either way, Phyllis won. She accepted her crown. Long live the queen, says Lauren. Uh, is anybody else just really thrown off by Jack's mild reaction to all of this. I get that he loves Phyllis and that he has a soft spot for Phyllis. And I know that he seems to accept and realize the irony of the fact that the Blood Abbot Claus that shot himself in the foot and that was written to keep ex-wives like Phyllis out of the company just put her into that CEO chair. He gets all of that and... Yet, he's just not really doing anything about it. <sighs> I guess that job is going to be left to Billy. Hmm, right? Billy is the one who has the axe to grind. Not only did Billy lose the CEO job uh, to Phyllis, but now he's working for his ex. And these two hate each other right now. By the way, I loved... How much Jill loved hearing about Billy and Phyllis's breakup. <laughs> Her reaction was priceless. She pretty much laughed in Phyllis's face. And more importantly, though, I really appreciated Jill's sit-down talk with Billy. Again, everything that went down with the Abbots had to have left Billy feeling like he was on the outside of his own family, like he was the lesser John Abbott's son. And so I think that Billy needed some mom time. <laughs> but of course, mom doesn't know the whole story. Mom doesn't know how Billy had revenge sex with Summer. I would love to see Jill find that out, please. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Is anybody rooting for Billy at this point? It amazes me that he actually thought that he had any chance of getting the COO position as, as, as a runner-up prize, I guess. Even forgetting the personal drama that's going on between Phyllis and Billy, the COO of a company is primarily a bottom line financials kind of position, and Billy just got caught embezzling from the company not even a month ago. Sorry, but I think that he's going to need a little bit more recovery time under his belt before he could ever be considered for that position. I wonder if Phyllis just offered him the marketing position instead to keep him around, to keep an eye on him, and also to not look like she was just being revengeful and firing him, and also to keep some Abbots on staff. I would have expected Phyllis to hand Billy a box of his stuff, though, uh, instead of just, you know, packing it up for him. I think I would have expected her to hand him an empty box and tell him to go pack up his office. Uh, it was funny, though, that she packed up some of the uh, that CEO office decor, handed it to him, and kind of made him take it to the house. It was just, it was, uh, she's going to find ways to be cruel to him, no doubt. 
I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what Phyllis's decorating spin on that office will be now that the ladies are in charge. Well, that's neither here nor there. The other person that was in line for or thought he was in line for the COO position was Kyle. And again, I thought, no way. Phyllis would never hire you for that. What are you thinking? When Kyle found out that Phyllis and Nick slept together, he held it over her head, and then he let it slip out to Summer, who let it slip out to Mariah, who told Sharon about it. So there's no way that Phyllis is going to let Kyle have any kind of power position there, let alone be her right hand. She made a great pick, though, ultimately, for COO, because she ended up choosing Lauren. Yes! Excellent, excellent, Lauren, bring her back into the forefront. Maybe we'll get some more Michael too. Let's give Lauren a brand new office and maybe get some sexy scenes between Lauren and Michael going on. That would be so great. I honestly was thinking during the board meeting scene, why isn't Lauren making a bid for the CEO position? She's more qualified than Phyllis. I think she'd be a great CEO of Jabot, and she would have a vested interest because they own her company. I mean, Lauren would have been in total control if she would have gotten that position, but I'll take what I can get. I mean, you add this whole new, this new chemist into the mix, and overnight, Jabot has become a female-led company. But it's not an Abbott-led company. I think it's kind of a refreshing change, but I do think it is a little odd to have a non-Abbott running Jabot, and the majority of YNR chatters are feeling that way too. Last week I asked you if a non-Abbott should be in charge of new Jabot. 63% of you felt like Jabot should remain a family-led company. And that's how I voted too, but I, I still, as it, the week progressed, did think it gave us a little bit something different to chew on. What, what bothers me, I think, the most is I wish that at least Jack worked there. That would make a big difference in terms of giving me more of an Abbott presence. I really think that we're going to, in the future, see some sort of big blow up between Jack and Nick that will put Jack back at Jabot. But in the meantime, I do like seeing Phyllis in charge. I think it's good to see examples of women in charge in the workplace. I mean, this is 2018, there are a lot of female CEOs, a lot more than there used to be anyway. And since this is the direction, I, I, I want Phyllis to be successful. I want her to succeed. But, okay, here's the thing. I am very worried that Victoria is going to crack about what has gone on with JT and tell Billy this big old secret, and I'm thinking that if that happens, Billy would not hesitate one little bit to use that info to force Phyllis to step down from her new prize position as Queen of Jabot.
Lola requires <laughs> two things from any man that she is dating. Number one, that he be honest. And number two, that he be available. Lola perceives Kyle as being one, as being maybe 99% available. He's not like completely hers. And I can understand being concerned about that. If Lola's not comfortable with Kyle's relationship with Summer, she has every right to stop seeing him. But I didn't really like the way she dumped him, though. Like he did something wrong. I mean, she totally ripped into him again like he was the jerk and broke up with them, dumped him. Why not at least end on nicer terms? Like, let's say Lola decided to break up with Kyle. Why not end on nicer terms? Say that you'd like to be friends. You still have to admit that Kyle is a mostly good guy or you wouldn't want to have been around him at all. So why does it have to be 100% total commitment and availability to Lola at all times, forsaking all others, with no room for just friends? <laughs> I don't know. I felt bad for Kyle. He was heartbroken. He's trying to do the right thing here. And he's caught between what he, what he thought was the right thing and his new romance with Lola. He really likes her. He doesn't want their relationship to end. But early in the week, he had absolutely no choice. She made herself perfectly clear. So since Lola was clear with Kyle, Kyle turned around and wanted to be real extra clear with Summer. He kind of, sorry, I think... <laughs> took a little bit of his anger out on Summer. He jumped on her in public at the athletic club, telling her that he's tired of her games and he's tired of her drama. Okay, okay, like I get that. Summer is a spoiled, attention-seeking brat. <laughs> you do not have to convince me of that. But Kyle was the one who chose to befriend her, to listen to her BS, and to let her break up his little double date party. And then he was blaming her for it, being especially cruel to her out of nowhere. Why get all angry with Summer over a decision that you made? That's all I'm saying. Ugh. Well, Summer, or er, Kyle decides, I'm going to make a new decision. I'm going to cut Summer out of my life completely. He tells Summer to just take a hike. While he's doing this, he's also telling Summer how much he really likes Lola and wants to be with her and is starting to care about her and how his relationship with Summer has cost him something that he really wants. And of course, <laughs> Lola's standing right there hearing the whole thing and she realizes, well, I guess if Kyle's going to be mine and all mine, then I will forgive him. <laughs> she marches right on up to him and she gives him a kiss, which I do find very hot, very sweet. Uh, I adore them as a couple. I just don't, I don't think that Lola's behavior with Kyle 
matches the words that I am hearing about her. All I keep hearing is about how confident and how cool she is. Well, being confident and cool would have been letting it play out, keeping your options open, but that's not what she did. I, I just think that Lola's kind of territorial. <laughs> and that's okay, but it's true. I really like them, but I'm also thinking I'm not so sure that Kyle is going to be as committed to Lola as Lola wants him to be. Um, Ray had this little moment where he was talking with Lola about how sometimes men will say the opposite of what they mean or they will say something and it's not exactly how they feel. And of course, the, the context of that conversation was an assumption that Ray was also talking about his relationship with Sharon. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't relevant and a legit warning toward Lola that Kyle may say he's over Summer, but what happens the next time Summer needs rescuing? Again, don't get me wrong, I am team Kyle and Lola all the way. I think these two are probably the hottest new couple on the show, and that's why I'm talking about it at length, and I'm trying to like work through my feelings. I think Kyle and Lola were so cute on Halloween. They were as cute as those candy corn topped cupcakes that Sharon was placing on the coffee house counter. Ooh, didn't those look so good? <laughs> they at YNR must have a new cupcake source because <laughs> we are getting cupcakes, cupcakes. I want Kyle and Lola to be a couple. But I also want Summer to be an actual challenge for them. And right now, she's not. Not yet. Anyway, Summer hasn't done anything overtly to mess with Kyle and Lola's relationship. You could probably give it another week and that might be a completely different story. I mean, Summer is the daughter of a lion, and Mama Lion is Kyle's new boss, and Kyle certainly has gone out of his way to poke both of those lions with a stick. Mariah and Tessa are like an old married couple. <laughs> Mariah was griping this week about how slow Tessa drives. Oh, what are we thinking about Mariah and Tessa? I thought that there was a very apt observation by Mariah early in the week. She said two things that a relationship like a latte must have are chemistry and timing. Mariah and Tessa may have chemistry, but do they have the right timing to make a relationship last? That is my question. I worry about them. It never even occurred to me that Mariah being followed might not have something to do with JT and Ray and all that and Sharon. 
that Mariah being followed might actually have something to do with Tessa's bad guys and the trouble she's in. And the reason that probably never occurred to me is because of the fact that that storyline with Tessa has completely dropped off the radar. And so that's why now that Mariah and Tessa are back in the forefront, it's making me nervous. These two were getting matching tattoos, wearing a couple's Halloween costume. Can we have a moment, though, to analyze <laughs> the Halloween costumes? Mariah was really funny as Sunny. But I would like to know why <laughs> did Tessa automatically get to be Cher <laughs> and Mariah was relegated to Sunny? Nobody wants to be Sunny. <laughs> if I'm deciding that Sunny and Cher and I'm going along with this couple's costume and I'm Mariah, I would have fought a little harder for the Cher wig. Thank you. <laughs> That mustache, though. Mariah in that mustache, though. <laughs> OMG. Um, Mariah also found a way to finally tell Tessa this week that she loves her, and she did so by carving it into a pumpkin. I thought it was clever. Especially how Mariah mentioned to Tessa that sometimes she's not really good at expressing her feelings in words. She's much better at writing them down like in a journal. Oh, that was that was a good line. That was very self-aware. And again, that makes me worried for their future and for when YNR actually does get around to reminding us that Tessa is essentially living on borrowed dime. Oh, really quick wrap up on Lily. Devon is continuing to try to help her. He goes to Sharon and asks for Sharon's help this week. If there's anything that Sharon can do to get Lily out of this mess, get her early release, get her transferred somewhere else or to a lower security prison that's not quite so harsh. And I loved that Sharon said, I want to help you. I wish I could help you, but there's nothing I can do. And suggests that maybe what Devon needs to focus on is using his considerable resources to just help make the situation better. That was really smart. And I loved how Sharon brought it back around with a little bit of reality that there are a lot of families who have inmates in prison that are not near them. And a lot of those families can't even afford to go visit their loved one. They can't afford to put money into their accounts so that they can have commissary items. I mean, this is a problem that Devon at least can make better if he's not able to solve. And I thought that was great. And Devon does offer 
Kane his private jet and he offers Kane a little bit of support and reminds Kane that this is only temporary. I can't help but feel that Devon was reminding us that it's only temporary um, and that they're all going to keep fighting and that Lily and Kane are going to be reunited someday and I really hope that that's true. So I was um, proud of Kane and the kids in the meantime sitting down deciding to make the best of the situation. If they can't see Lily all the time, if they can't get a hold of her all the time, then they're going to start a letter writing campaign. They all just sat down and wrote an old fashioned old timey letter. Dear Lily, things are well here on the home front. Sometimes you have to look back before you can figure out how to move forward. I thought that was a line that, it just is one of those lines that hit me as, that is really true. Sometimes YNR has these little lines of wisdom that hit me and I just realized, wow, there's so much to learn from this show sometimes. Why don't we take that wise moment, that wise owl moment from Tracy and put a black bandit mask on it. <laughs> Oh, congratulations, everybody who guessed that that quote came from Tracy. It was Anna, Keisha, Robbie, Lynn, Jamie, Heather, Sandra, Terry, Sherry, Carol, Henry, Tanya, and Leslie. Oh, I think that one might have been too easy. So maybe you guys need a little bit more of a challenge this week. We'll see if you can get this one. Jealousy is one of my favorite compliments. Who said it? Jealousy is one of my favorite compliments. If you think you know, go to yrchat.com and if you get it right, then I will give you your shout out on next week's YNR chat. Finally, let's get to your comments and we'll kick off with Daisy here saying, I think Jack was telling Ashley what he thought she wanted to hear so that he could ultimately get his way and keep things as they were. This may have worked in the past, but it didn't work this time. Ashley's not hurting anyone. She's standing on her own two feet and speaking up for herself for once. Well, right. Oh, let's um, let's go to Consuela here, wanting to weigh in about Kyle. Consuela says, I know some people don't like Kyle, but I love him. He has his moments where he bugs me, but for the most part, I love him, especially when he was telling Summer off. To me, I feel like he's a lot like Jack in that deviously charming way. Even when he's being devious, though, I feel like he does it in a, in a charming way with that famous Abbott smile, just like Jack. Michael Mueller is killing it as Kyle. No doubt. 
I love Kyle too. I haven't heard anyone saying that they don't like Kyle though. I feel like across the board, most people seem to like him or at least tolerate him or maybe just way in our chatters like him. I'm not sure what the broader way in our audience is saying. Diana says, I think Kyle got a glimpse of what a relationship with Lola is going to look like. It seems to me that she's revealing her true colors. She comes across as bossy and not very easygoing when things don't go her way. Hmm, I wasn't the only one reading it that way then. That's good to know. All right, let's switch over to talking about Phyllis and the new Jabot. It almost feels like it shouldn't be called Jabot. Anna says, I really like the girl power vibe, but I wish it would have been at a competing company and uh, that they would have left Jabot for the Abbots to run. This would have been my preference, too, in all honesty. I was going to make this argument, actually, but then I realized it's probably mostly only because of functionality. I think Weiner's making the right move by giving us some girl power. It's clear that that's a direction overall. There's different types of girl power that we're seeing arise um, in themes in the show. Uh, but I think that since they just bought, uh, built that whole new dark horse set, and there are only so many cast members who can work at these companies to justify a new business and to keep the dynamic within it interesting. I'm sure that that's why they decided to go this route. Uh, I, I, I think maybe a spin-off of Jabot with Phyllis at the helm could be interesting in the future, but I, I, I feel you on that one, Anne. I really do. Tanya says, Phyllis and Lauren, this episode, were really annoying me. Who do they think they are coming to Jabot like they own the place and now they're thinking of changing the decorations? That was so cruel of them to put the Abbott things in a box like they were not important. Oh, fair point, Tanya, fair point. Connor says, maybe a Phyllis era of Jabot is what we need. Why not give her a chance? Jack and Billy have both had equal chances at running the company. Sometimes an outside opinion or view can change the foundation and run things smoother. Jamie says, I am digging it. Phyllis at the helm with Lauren as the CEO and their fabulous new lady chemist. I am ready to see some sassy, sexy intermingling with our Genoa City men drama instead of the usual family business drama. Oh, I think we're going to get that. <laughs> Zuperplex says, I have a lot of respect for Lauren and her fabulous outfits. <laughs> we know how you feel about Lauren, Zuperplex. In fact, literally, when Lauren got named as COO, I thought to myself, Zuperplex is going to love this. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to be seeing Lauren and her outfits a whole lot more. Oh, let's switch a little bit uh, and hear what Diana wants to say about uh, Victoria. Oh, Diana would like to see Victoria with Nate some more. Diana says, we haven't seen Victoria and Nate together since he gave her the Taekwondo lesson, I believe. See, 
I, I agree with this comment, Diana, because Nate was injecting some reality back into the situation, reminding us what Victoria has been through, uh, that, the, that the situation with JT was not just a cartoon. It was not a cartoon. It's something that happened to her and something that she's going to need time uh, to work through. And then the whole relationship with Nate just faded into the background. Blech. Uh, Gary says, why wouldn't Sharon and her friends consider that Ray, who's always seeing them, finding them together, making pointed little jabs at them, might possibly be having them followed? Uh, yeah, my thoughts exactly, Gary. Uh, those women went back to the scene of a crime. Always a bad idea knowing already that they were being blackmailed by some mystery person, so why would it not occur to them that, I don't know, Ray, the blackmailer, the mailman, I don't know, someone might actually be following there, following them there. It doesn't make any sense. Bernie says, OMG, why were they wearing the Hamburglar masks? <laughs> Hysterical. I thought of the Hamburglar too. <laughs> I didn't know if everyone would get that old 80s McDonald's reference, though. Uh, but I love it. I, I My first thought was of the Hamburglar. I am thinking of not calling the girls the Margarita Crew anymore and instead calling them the Mamburglars. <laughs> oh, Daisy says, Ray, a married man, is trying to get oddly close to Sharon. She should know what he's trying to do. He's been trying to solve the JT murder mystery since he came into town, or the JT mystery since he came into town. Sharon and her new best friends do not need to explain anything to Ray. What they do and why is none of his business. I wish Sharon would just walk away from Ray and his interrogations and become the watcher rather than the watched. If Sharon watched Ray more closely, she might get curious about his notebook, see his writing about her and the other women, then find out if Ray is the one who blackmailed them or is working with the person who did. Mm, yes, but that wouldn't give us all these jokes about mattresses and boxes and balls. <laughs> That is the main reason that they're even doing this. It doesn't make any sense that Sharon would be drawn into Ray when she knows she took the job to get close to him because she knows he's investigating JT and all she's doing is getting close to him in a different way. Superplex says, from the looks of next week's preview, the tearing down of Nick continues unabated. We find out that he's back to kissing Phyllis only last Thursday. He said to Faith that he would stop at nothing to get Sharon back. It's this type of 180 degree turnaround in characters that makes us, the viewers, lose hope in trying to invest ourselves into anyone on this show. <sighs> yeah, I agree. Same thing happened with Billy. 180 degree personality change overnight. Who else has had a, a, a very stark 180 degree personality change lately? Ashley? Jack? Certainly. Who else? Leave me some comments. 
Oh, well, how about this? We'll end on this kind of fun note. <laughs> this week we had an in-depth hair analysis by Laura commenting on <laughs> everyone's hair on the show. Laura says, Victoria should get a cute little bob. Sharon's hair is too flat ironed. It looks like string. Mm, I agree. I liked Devon's hairstyle in the summer, but now that it's getting colder, I wish he'd grow it out a bit because it, I just get chilly looking at him. <laughs> Nikki's hair grows so fast and she always tweaks the style a little bit. It's time to end the beach wave summer. Tessa looks good with or without bangs. Mariah's hair is, her shorter hair is more interesting <laughs> than when it's long and lanky. Nick can wear his hair long or short. He looks good, whatever. <laughs> and Abby's hair looks like she really wants a boyfriend. No, wait, that's just her. <laughs> I don't know why. I really laughed about all of those this week. Uh, Leslie weighs in and says, I am right there with you on Sharon's hair. I think we all know at least one person who refuses to change the plain long hair. That's really the, on the only thing for high schools or 20-year-olds. I wouldn't go too short, but just past the shoulder with a style that makes her look fuller, especially on the ends. I absolutely love the style Ashley has worn in recent years and never liked her long do, although at the time it was the thing. Okay, first of all, I, I completely agree about Sharon's hair. It is time for a cut, and I've said that more than once. It needs to be brought up. And I also agree that I really like Ashley's do. Something like that could look really cute on Sharon. But now I'm feeling really paranoid about all of this hair analysis, and I'm worried that, like, am I wearing my hair too long, like too far past my 20s? Are you guys looking at me the way maybe you were looking at Sharon or Victoria thinking, why does she still have that hairdo? I've been thinking of cutting my hair, that's why I'm asking, but I also kind of like my hair, so I'm just not sure what to do, and now you guys have given me a complex about it. Can you please just be honest with me? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and be honest with me about my hair. Can I get in on some of this hair analysis, please? Talk about hair, talk about storylines, talk about casting, talk about anything you want to talk about at yrchat.com. Your comments make my week so much more fun, and I thank you, everyone who has been participating. I think I'm good for the week. <sighs> I am terrified to know where we're going to be on this whole JT situation next week at this time, but I guess we'll find out. <laughs> okay, I love you guys. Everybody have a really good week. I love you. Bye.